And that's where you don't need to have as many clients, but when you have those deeper, more meaningful relationships, you can provide a number of different services that work in collaboration with each other to help them meet their business and both their personal goals. Totally, 100% agree. And because we've got that fractional CFO part of our practice, we can be their global CFO between you know their wealth picture, their mm -hmm. business finances, and also from a tax advisory standpoint. So all of those things are interrelated. They don't you know live independent <laughs> of each other, especially for small business owners. Welcome to AFO Wealth Management Forward, a podcast about finance, accounting, technology, and entrepreneurship. We apply our decades worth of experience and insight into what makes businesses work so we can help others grow both personally and professionally. In this ever-evolving marketplace, we help accounting firms and financial advisors grow their practice through the adoption of holistic wealth management services. Learn from industry leaders and subject matter experts to unlock the secrets of their success a podcast that shows people and companies the transformative power of technology so they don't fear it, but instead harness it. Don't fight the robots, team up with them. And here are your hosts, Rory Henry, Director of Business Development and CEO Rob Santos of Arrowroot Family Office. All right. Hello, everyone. I have another great guest joining me today. I'm excited to finally get to talk to him on the podcast. I've been a big fan of his work. He is the CEO and co-founder of Dark Horse CPAs. He's on a mission to change public accounting. Uh, so let me introduce our guest, Chase Berkey. Chase, welcome to the show. Rory, thanks for having me, man. Thank you for coming on. Now, before we dive into the stuff we were just talking off recording here about behavior, can you give our audience a little bit of background of the work you do at Dark Horse? And I know you call yourself the, the anti-CPA firm. Can you explain to our audience what that's all about? Yes. The anti-CPA firm really comes from the idea of <clears throat> creating the antithesis of what is, you know, typically perceived as the <clears throat> traditional accounting firm. Yeah. So we all know that there's some negative reputation within our industry. Some of it deservedly, some of it maybe not. <clears throat> but being the anti-CPA firm, what we really wanted to convey to CPAs as well as clients. Yeah. Is that, you know, what you're groomed to expect from a CPA firm or the opposite of, and it, it really strikes a chord for a lot of folks that are, especially at that point where they're thinking, can I still remain in public accounting at this point? You know, I'm burned out. This just isn't working out for me personally and or professionally. That, that safe harbor, that yeah. beacon of light that we're just something totally different. Yeah. Can you go into the blocking and tackling of how you set up your firm? I know you've moved to a C-Corp. Tired of spending hours on financial analysis and reporting? If you're manually doing your reporting, you need to check out LiveFlow. They've completely automated the entire process. LiveFlow integrates QuickBooks with Google Sheets, making life easier for accountants and finance professionals. LiveFlow's plug-and-play templates for financial models save you from hiring additional staff. But here's the real game changer. LiveFlow's consolidation automation feature. No more time-consuming manual consolidation. With LiveFlow, you can automate the entire consolidation process in just 10 minutes. On average, LiveFlow users save at least two days every month and are able to take on more clients. 
it's time to transform your financial workflow. Visit liveflow.io and use the promo code ROR for 20% off. Can you talk about the roles there? I know you have principals and you provide stock options. Can you talk about how you've structured the company and incentivize uh, people to come on board? Yeah. Um, so it's novel within public accounting, but if we're looking at our clients, this is how they operate their businesses yeah, right. by and large. So uh, it's not anything that's that novel from a, a structure standpoint, but yes, we are a C Corp. Uh, we have folks that we call principals that would be called a partner uh, in a partnership. Um, and they are employees of the corporation and also shareholders. We really believe in the structure of a corporation, the leadership being a bit more centralized and a lot less bureaucracy and red tape that you have with these larger partnerships. And I, I think that the partnership model is a pretty good model for a certain size of firm getting started. It's got flexibility. There's a case to be made for that, but it often doesn't scale very well. And when you get to a certain size, any organization at a certain size is going to be more like maneuvering a cruise ship versus a <laughs> speedboat. Uh, but I think you get a lot more bloat and a lot uh, less uh, velocity of evolution when you have that structure at scale and you don't have clear and strong leadership to, to guide the ship. Yeah, let's talk about that sh clear and strong leadership because you are manning that ship. Can you talk about maybe some of the things that you've implemented from a standpoint of leadership? Or I know you've actually had developed a wealth management practice. Now, obviously, that's interest to our audience and the people we speak to. So can you kind of talk about how that's allowed you to be agile as opposed to all these chefs in the kitchen trying to make a decision on what to cook? Yeah, I don't want it to sound like I'm some autocrat. Uh, you know, <laughs> no, not at all, Chase. CEO. It really is about uh, getting the best input of everyone and understanding what the desires and wants and beliefs of your stakeholders, your employees are, but being able to filter that through what is the long-term vision, the long-term strategy, the core of what we're here to do. So making sure it's all aligned and in sync with where the firm needs to go versus something being novel and cool and maybe something that you should be doing but it doesn't make sense with the rest of the direction of the organization. It's really about... Um... Are you an accountant looking to generate more revenue and secure your future success as automation and artificial intelligence revolutionize the accounting profession? If so, contact us at AFO Wealth Management Forward. We specialize in helping accountants and advisors just like you build a custom brand to pinpoint your optimal clientele, generate highly qualified leads through our data-driven digital marketing, and execute wealth management growth services to bring more value to your firm and your client's life. Our strategic approach to branding, marketing, and wealth management is carefully tailored to attract ideal clients, increase customer retention rates, and cultivate lasting relationships with clients across generations. Visit WealthManagementForward.com to book your free consultation to find out how you can elevate your practice.
being able to make those decisions quicker because you don't have to gain as much consensus as you do with a you know voting model and a partnership. But on the same hand, you can't just plow the train a certain direction without that input, without yeah. explaining the why. It really requires a level of transparency and communication with the stakeholders of the organization so that they understand where we're going and why, but not taking any longer than you need to start going down that direction. And especially when you're doing something that's different and there's not a blueprint for, you have to be uh, willing to pivot and make adjustments when what sounds good in the ivory tower <laughs> doesn't actually work when the, where the rubber meets the road. <clears throat> to be really agile and flexible in the way that we need to as an organization. And I think a lot of firms are realizing they need to, even if they're, you know, not doing anything totally outside the box. We're just in such a fluid environment that you can't just set your direction and go and just assume that's going to work over the next couple of years because things are just changing so fast. Yeah, they are changing uh, pretty rapidly. I've seen a couple of your posts here. Uh, I think you mentioned private equity. <laughs> I talked to Alan Colton. He's contributing to the book. Uh, and the early returns look like it's been hugely successful for the Eisner Ampers of the world. I think they went from 450 almost to a billion now. Citra Cooperman doubled as well, 325, I think to 650, he stated. Uh, don't quote me on those numbers. <laughs> Can you talk about maybe some of that engagement you've had from the private equity side? how that's going and maybe your vision for where you see you're going to take dark horse. Yeah, I've definitely had, as that LinkedIn post alluded <laughs> to a lot of folks reach out. I've had a few conversations with folks that I just thought were interesting and someone to know, but private equity really isn't a part of our game plan, or at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, I can be critical of private equity. Uh, I understand the the plus side of what they're doing, yeah. and the really they're helping these large partnerships tradition to go towards a a corporate operating model, which I think is needed. Right? It's yeah. it, it, we did it for a reason, and private equity looks at public accounting and sees where they could make this operate a lot better. Yeah, yeah I, I call it the financial flywheel. There's mm -hmm. smart money for a reason. They see the inefficiencies and the opportunities to provide more services. Right. So. Yeah, I think they're pushing some needed change, but there's two sides to every ledger. <laughs> On the other side, you're giving up typically a majority stake in the company, right? Yeah. So you got to think about what the implications are of that, not just from a control standpoint, but what that culture. means for your culture, your future partners, what the pie is going to look like for them. Yeah. And really to me, what's unproven, a little scary to be honest, if I was involved with one of these firms is <clears throat> this idea that this equity flips every five to seven years, you know, and you're getting a return if you meet these growth assumptions. There's a lot of ifs that are baked into this Correct. working out well for future partners. 
right? Because there's less of the pie, but if the pie is bigger, in theory, it can make sense. But how many times can you flip it over every five to seven years before there's no buyer left for that? I think the <laughs> ultimate result of going through that cycle and then just getting too big for the next buyer is going public, which That's, I think is a fine option. Right. But Yeah. I And I always go back to, as I trademarked uh, advise Roar and the Roar's return on relationship. I think this is what really drives accounting firms and the people who work at them, wealth advisors too, is that relationship with that client. So you can throw a bunch of money, you can throw a bunch of tech in there, but it's really coming down to the people and the purpose of the company and finding out the purpose of your clients and what matters most to them. And, and I'm fascinated because I, I see you have this an integrated model where you have introduced wealth management. When did you make that decision? How is that working out for you so far, Chase? Yeah. We made the decision that we wanted to do that years ago. Yeah. We opened up an RIA um, a couple of years ago. I got my 63, which was a little too easy, to be honest. I, <laughs> yeah, I was not qualified to actually do any sort of financial advising, obviously, right. but it was just so we could receive those solicitor payments from yeah. firms that we had relationships with. But nonetheless, we knew we wanted to have that in-house because there's just this obvious synergy overlap. between, yes, overlap between tax and financial advisory. On one hand, you don't want the tax tail wagon, the right. investment dog. Uh, but on the other hand, you don't want to be blind to the tax consequences, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And we just, we know from our experience and others that it's, more the exception than the rule to find two firms externally that are not uh, mutually owned, be able to provide a synergistic service to a client because it requires a deep level of communication. Mm -hmm. And to be frank, a lot of CPA firms are so busy at certain points, usually the most critical points where that collaboration needs to happen that it just doesn't. So our whole thing was, we know that we're not going to beat the market forever, right? I think I just personally believe anyone who thinks they can beat the market forever is in for a rude awakening. So we're not trying to beat the market. What we're trying to do is give you the most after-tax, after-fee returns with transparency. Yep. Yeah, I just interviewed uh, one of the, the chief strategists over at Vanguard. And they've done a 20-year study, Chase, on the value of a financial advisor. We and have that linked on our website. <laughs> yeah. It shows up to 3%. Those in the audience you know, heard him uh, talk about it. Really, it's about cutting costs, tax efficiency, and the behavioral coaching, making sure people don't make those decisions when COVID hits and the market goes down 20% and they want to sell, right? It's right. making sure they stay on track. And I'm big into behavioral finance, the human-first approach to advice. And that's really, I say... There's a tremendous value proposition to be able to provide people tax savings, but then also a vision for a long-term goal, helping them meet their goals and aspirations. And that's really diving deeper into the client, their psychology, their values, and what matters most to them. And that's where you don't need to have as many clients, but when you have those deeper, more meaningful relationships, you can provide a number of different services that work in collaboration with each other to help them meet their business and both their personal goals. Totally, 100% agree. And because we've got that fractional CFO part of our practice, we can be their global CFO between 
their wealth picture, their right. business finances, and also from a tax advisory standpoint. So all of those things are interrelated. They don't live independent <laughs> of each other, especially for small business entrepreneurs. Yeah. Let's go into the CPA pipeline problem. And <laughs> I want you to put on your hat here. If you were running things at the ISAPA or, or you could make decisions and, and have a magic wand to, to fix things, what would you do first and foremost to help out with that? I go back to something of a branding issue I think the profession has. What would be your solution to, to help out with that? Yeah, I think where the conversation typically goes in this realm is towards the 150-hour rule. Yeah. And in my seat, I can't do anything about that. I also think you'd have to really be leading the AICPA to really have a role in making that happen. And for just being frank, there's not a lot of appetite on that end for the AICPA to unwind what they spent a lot of time and energy creating. So it's a barrier for sure, but it's not something that I you know concern myself with that much just because it's so far out of the realm of my control. Yeah. Do I believe in the 150-hour rule, I would say yes, if it was for a master's level degree in accounting or tax, then it makes a ton of sense. As it currently stands, I think it's a pretty obvious argument that it's arbitrary because of the requirements of what those 150 hours are. So the barrier being it's another year of school, uh, unless you're able to get a bunch of credits before going to college or take summer school or something like that. So it's an extra year of paying for tuition of room and board and all that and not earning money. So the delta there is probably well into six figures uh, for most folks. So that's tough, but it just is what it is, right? Yeah. And we also have to recognize that we're not the only industry that's in this position. There's a lot of industries that are suffering from a, a talent standpoint and the availability of that talent. So that's something we just have to understand. But for me, what it all boils down to, I think the biggest thing that we can do uh, as firm owners, as those who are in the profession, is to create better employment experiences. Yeah. Um, there's an argument to be made about salaries and all that. In certain circumstances, starting salaries have gone up in meaningful ways. But we're probably not going to be in a spot where we can truly compete with the salaries of maybe the tech a, companies, yeah. your program or yeah that legitimately is worth that mid high hundreds out of college or maybe not even with a college degree to be honest so we're not going to be able to necessarily compete with that highest level but i think what a lot of folks are looking at is okay the starting salaries compared to a number of other options i could do aren't super competitive and it also looks like the employment experience of being in public accounting isn't great and I've got to go to another year of school to be eligible for licensure. So it's, it's, it's just, yeah. it's all of these things. Yeah. So if we could get to a place where people understood that working in public accounting was, was maybe even fun, but that you <laughs> learned, it's almost weird to say something like that, but that you learn a ton and that you're not getting grinded to the bone like yeah. historically people have, and you're setting yourself up for um, a really great career. Uh, yeah. Because I think people are willing to, especially accountants that are very analytical, are willing yeah. to uh, look at the prospects of 
a career and not just what that first year is going to look like. Yeah. But when you have the ledger of Reddit going concerned and some of those <laughs> other things that are telling you how miserable folks are, right? it's just that last straw that breaks the camel's back. Well, I think it's the firms like you, Chase, I'm singing your praises here that are the leading edge there to, to create those changes, to be that shining light on a hill, to show that there's a better way of doing things. I had on Dennis Mosley Williams. He's a experienced expert. And he talks about how we need to move from a service-based offering to staging experiences and then guiding transformations. I also had on Ron Baker, talked about going from transactional, transformational, creating those great experiences. I see it on the podcast, the accounting firms really nowadays are mini McKinsey's or Bain's. They're really helping small and medium-sized businesses. So I think it's telling that story, that narrative, where if you're analytical, you can go into that business, solve their problems, help them grow, help them create meaningful change for their employees. And then on the personal finance side, you can help them grow their personal finances with a model like you have. And what we talk about on the wealth management side, you can bring in estate planning in, making sure that these families are protected in case of any unforeseen circumstances. So I think that's that narrative, that story that we need to tell that we are consultants. We are advisors. We're helping transform businesses as well as people's lives. 100%. And leading with purpose in the folks that you're you know, trying to recruit and that you have within your walls. I think we don't do enough as firm owners to really talk about why we're here. Yeah. What, what's your why to show what's up with, and give everything you have in a given day? It's not enough to just say client service, right? Mm-hmm. You got to be able to show folks like, you know, you're really impacting these small business owners and helping them thrive and even survive in certain circumstances. The pandemic was a perfect example that it's, there was never a time where it was more palpable that we were the most right. essential yes. advisor that they had in their life. The first, the financial first responders, I think Jody Paydar says. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I, I think was, it was a great moment for us to see. It's like, okay. This might've been amplified because yeah. of the circumstances, but yeah. we do this to some level with all of our clients on a daily basis it's more than balancing the books. It's really about providing that insight and that advisory to the small business owners of America and, or other countries if you're international. And that's really, that's the economic engine that this country was built on. So to be able to support those folks, there's a lot of meaning and a lot of purpose behind that. Yeah. I agree. Can you talk about, let's go into, because I know we just talked about the capacity problem. I always say, or I heard someone say, I forget it was, capacity is a pricing problem. Pricing is a service problem. Service is a self-esteem problem. <laughs> Something along those lines. Sounds like Ron Baker. <laughs> Somebody, yeah, Ron or yeah. Martin Bissett. I don't know who it was. So it's really like a mindset. So my question to you is, I know you do a lot of training from the get-go, Chase. Can you talk about the work you do? Uh, with your employees there, really on helping shift their mindset? Yeah, and I think this is most palpable with our accelerators. Those are folks who are typically a manager, a senior manager at a traditional firm, and then it's a program they enter at Dark Horse where they build their practice from scratch. And we really see 
there's there's a lot that we're helping them do. Some of it's technical, but a lot of it really is the softer stuff. So <laughs> it's knowing your worth. It's knowing how to have these conversations with prospects after you sign them, creating healthy boundaries. Yeah. And not just with clients, but with your team uh, yeah. and your peers. There's, we're just trained as accountants to when the client asks or demands jump, you ask <laughs> yeah. how high. Yeah. Because when you come in, you're doing really whatever is being asked of you by a senior manager or partner. And a lot of times that's because they're being asked by the client for all of these different things, or maybe the uh, partner group commands it. So there's just this level of all you do is you gotta say yes, you gotta perform, you just you gotta make it happen. Yeah. And we see a lot of folks after years of that have internalized it, feel like they have to save the world every single day, but they can't say no to a client that because they haven't defined a certain boundary or the scope well enough, they don't have a leg to stand on to push back. So when you have that sort of cycle repeat too many times, yeah, that really is what pushes people towards burnout. Um, yeah. And it's more common than I think anyone is willing to admit, but it really comes down to just this personal psychology of knowing, you know, who you are, what your worth is, what you're going to do for whom, you know, and sticking to it and not letting clients dictate, you know, dictate exactly what your day-to-day is going to look like. Yeah. So I'm assuming then it's a lot easier to train somebody new, most likely, maybe not, but then to maybe reprogram somebody who's pretty entrenched in that way of thinking in the historical traditional model. What are your thoughts? We're more of a graduate level firm, not to say we don't hire out of college, but we've had more success taking folks who have the experience and the yeah. knowledge to do the work and then yeah. really working on that psychological uh, component with them. We're obviously not psychologists, but you know, <laughs> There's structure that is codified that if you can stick to that, the other parts of it are going to fall in place. But yeah, it's what we see a lot. We have this conversation somewhat regularly is there's this level of the way that you handle yourself and go about your work. A lot of it is subconscious, even though you're in a totally different environment, dark horse, and you can call the shots in a lot of ways. You operate, you're still in that prison of that old firm, right? It's it's almost a self-sabotaging sort of behavior yeah. that we have to really just hold up a mirror to folks and show them like, look, you don't have to do this. You don't. <laughs> you, you're in a position to drive your practice and do what works for you and your family and your clients and not just be resigned to some reality that is really your own creation um you know so there's just there's a lot of psychology in all of this and we're fortunate to be in a position where we've got all of these data points from different practices and we can tell people a high degree of confidence that if you do x 
why is going to happen. This yeah. isn't just a hunch like, oh, we've seen it before, whether that's positive or negative. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So let me, I have one question here. Oh yeah. The CPA brand. Mm-hmm. You have, you're, you are CPA owned firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing obviously a move towards not being CPA fully owned or majority mm-hmm. owned. And what this, what uh, decision went into doing that? Are there any thoughts on shifting that to a, a non-CPA majority owned type practice? Yeah. So again, this is positives and negatives, right? I would say that the CPA brand is really crucial for a lot of firms when they're starting out because you get to attach yourself to something that has a certain standard in folks' mind. So even if no one knows Joe Schmo accounting or CPAs, they know what a CPA is and that's enough to get a level of trust and to help build that book of business. So there's absolutely that leg up that you get when you're first starting out. On the other side of it, there's some uh, regulatory red tape that can get in the way. An example of that, and it's nuanced, right? Because it depends on the state. So yeah. yeah. So for us, we're headquartered in California. At least that's where we, the board of accountancy in California is where we're registered. We were allowed to have the dark horse name. The board approved that, Mm -hmm. but- Texas won't allow it. Mm-hmm. North Carolina probably won't allow it once we move into that state. Maybe some other states too. So it's like, okay, yeah. what do we do? <laughs> this is the name of our firm. Yeah. Why there's not reciprocity there, I have no idea. But nonetheless, so there's things like that. Also in California, there's within the business professional code, a, a regulation that says, that you can't have a shareholder who's an officer if they are not licensed. Hmm. Someone who's brilliant in technology or marketing or other areas where there's no reason for them to be a licensed CPA, we can't have them be an equity shareholder and an officer. That's uh, really a hindrance to the type of business we're trying to build. Like I said, there's pluses and minuses. I I think that for us at a certain point, we might get to a place where we drop the CPA firm licensure because we can remove some of those operating obstacles. There's a BHAG to eventually go public later on down the road. And obviously you're not going to do that within an accountancy corporation. But we're just, we're very much focused on that relationship with the principal and the client. And that client knows that the principal is a CPA. So whether yeah. or not the firm itself is a CPA firm, I don't think matters as much. You don't talk about Deloitte CPAs, <laughs> EY CPAs, it's just Deloitte and UI, right? Makes sense. Makes sense. Speaking of relationships, I've been asking those in the podcast, Chase, because I have this return on relationship messaging. Is there a person uh, professionally or personally that has meant the most to you that has had the biggest impact as far as relationship goes? Yeah, probably two. One would be my co-founder, mm-hmm. Max Fritz. Had I not had him in the early stages of this, 
I don't know <laughs> where it, any of this would have gone because where I'm weak, he's strong and vice versa. So we were just a very good complimentary team. I, I really think it's important, whether you call them a partner or co-founder, to have that key person that's your right hand, that's an extension of you in all the right ways, because you can't do this on your own. You really do need others to hold the torch from a leadership standpoint. So I would say him for sure. And then the other would be my father-in-law. He's someone that I really learned a lot from in terms of being an entrepreneur and what it looks like on a day-to-day -day basis, the sorts of questions you ask of your people, <laughs> the way that you go about interviewing and hiring and crafting strategy, all these things that you could obviously read about, listen to yeah. in podcasts, but when you're seeing it on the ground in context, yeah, the learning from that was just incalculable. Nice. All right. Awesome, Chase. I appreciate you coming on. Is there anything that you'd like to share with our audience that we didn't touch on? If you're interested in what we're doing from the standpoint of being an accountant or being an aspiring accountant, a CPA is our marketing site towards accountants showing what we're doing for accountants. I didn't really touch on this, but our primary customer is accountants. And so we exist to serve them so that they can serve clients. And anyways, so you can read about what we're doing for accounts on a better way.cpa. And then I pretty much live on LinkedIn. So <laughs> <That's> UI, buddy. <laughs> yeah. So Chase Berkey tends to be a unique enough name that if you search it, you'll find it. And that's Berkey, B-I-R-K-Y. I love it. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Chase. I appreciate it. We'll put all that stuff in the show notes and I hope to have you back on again here in the future. Awesome. Appreciate it, Roy. Thanks, buddy. All opinions expressed by Rob Santos and Rory Henry on this website podcast interview are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Arrow Root Family Office LLC or their parent company or affiliates and may have been previously disseminated on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by anyone as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of their opinions. Past performance is not indicative of future results.